Chapter 9. The Queen of Sheba. So, uh, south of Egypt, it was Cush, and south of that was Sheba, and evidently that is the area that today we call Sudan, or Ethiopia, but probably Sudan today. She heard about Solomon's fame, so she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with difficult questions. She came with a very great entourage, with camels carrying spices, a large quantity of gold and precious stones. She came to Solomon and spoke with him about everything that was on her heart. Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from Solomon that he could not explain to her. Um, the, the, the Christian, the man of God, ask a hard question. Can we answer? Hopefully. But sometimes people come up with what they think is a brilliant question. And a second grader can answer that question. You know, um, I've told you this story before. I shared it with a, a friend of mine, uh, a professor at the college, who shared a similar story with me. I'll tell you his first. He had a Bible information class, one of those study classes. And a man was coming through his class who had been a Baptist minister. And had served, I don't, I don't know how much education he had, but he was serving as a Baptist minister. And he came through the class, and our professor, who was a pastor at the time, was illustrating a lot of doctrines with Old Testament stories, like you do, you know, Abraham and Moses. And, and, and every week he had more of these stories. And finally, this ex-Baptist minister came up to him and said, you know, you tell me all these stories, and I don't know any of this stuff. I never read the Old Testament. Some denominations think that only the New Testament should apply to Christians, which is one of the reasons why you can buy a New Testament that doesn't have an Old Testament attached. You know, maybe the Psalms, but that's kind of what people do. And then I shared with him this story from my missionary days. Um, my, uh, I, I was in Washington State, and not very far south of us was Portland, Oregon, from where I was in Washington. And my, I happened to have a relative or my wife did, who lived there. And they called us down to have dinner with them um, one Friday. And I thought, sure, came down there. And he thought he would surprise us and make a little joke because he's really an unbeliever. And he had invited um, this rabbi friend of his and all of their friends because they were celebrating Shabbat together, Sabbath, on Friday evening. And he thought it would be hilarious if he invited his Lutheran brother-in-law to come down and see you know, and what would he, you know, what would he do? And so we thought, and Kath and I looked at each other and just, you know, we don't care. We'll hold hands and we'll just do this. And, and but, uh, and, and because she, the, the, the rabbi was a, was a lady and she was reading her Jewish prayers. They were printed in, in English letters, like phonetically so she could read them. And as she was going through them, I recognized the verses. And it's just Old Testament. And so she started saying these things at the table. And Kath and I are standing there, and we've got our, our, our two older sons were little toddlers at the time. And uh, I started um, translating for Kath as she was reading under my breath. And so I'm doing that. And they're kind of looking at me. And my brother-in-law is, is it's, that's, it, I just got his goat you know, doing that. 
And um, and then and then and really all and all and she builds up to a table prayer which we don't participate in, and then they're going to have you know bagels and stuff, and I wasn't really interested in all of that. But um, but then I, but the rabbi and her husband had a, a baby, and they introduced the baby as Elijah. And you may have heard me tell this story before, but I asked her, "I'm forgive me with my pronunciation." I said, "Is he named after Elijah or Elisha?" And this rabbi's response was, what's the difference? Sometimes just knowing your Bible, you know, is, is a lot more than a lot of people ever know. Embrace your Sunday school upbringing. Because what a blessing it was to have that or your LES classes or whatever it was. And for those who taught our children, thank you so much because they have such a leg up on so many people in the world. There, today, you go online today looking up a phrase. Where does this come from? And all the millennials have their guesses. You know, oh, drop in the bucket. Where does that come from? I, you know, I think maybe it, it goes back to FDR or maybe Lincoln. And of course, drop in a bucket is from what prophet? Isaiah. You know, things like that. It's, there's, there's a clear verse of scripture that has that expression and things like that. And Oh, that can't be in the Bible. Well, yeah, it's in the Bible. But Here's that picture of yours that was on the cover. It's a good picture of Solomon's throne because you've got six steps there that he's standing on. You see the lions that are there? That's in the description of the throne. He had six steps made and, and covered with gold, and on each step were two lions, one on either end. And I think maybe these lions in the painting are small. They might have been bigger, like full-sized lions. But that's a, if you think of a, of a nation in anywhere in the world that at this time, where the king might have a house, and everybody else lives in a tent, and look at what Solomon's living in here. You know, I mean, it's the Louvre you know, practically, and, and a, a palace like this. And, uh, and naturally, people would be overwhelmed, right? And you see behind Solomon, his wives are kind of bored. They're kind of reclining back there like, yeah, whatever. When the queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon, the house which he had built, the food on his table, the council meeting of his officials, the careful, can you imagine? She's impressed by the seating arrangement at the staff meeting. Like, okay. The careful attention of his ministers and their attire. Also his cup, I just saw, um, what was the, I've, I've now seen the beginning of the movie um, Jane Eyre, which many of you have read or, or love or whatever, and I've only seen the first half of the movie. But one of the lines in the movie is, uh, you know, you you dress nicely whether you're at work or at home. You always dress your best, you know, things like that. And I, I'm sure that they were, the cup, when I see this, the ministers in their attire, the cup bearers in their attire, you know, always in your best robes all the time. And the passageway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, it took her breath away. Um, in the, the, the alternate translation is, and the burnt offerings he offered at the house of the Lord. But this is the passageway that led up to the house of the Lord. What's the difference? Well, this is, a, this is a major translation issue in any translation, or it should be, because 
Va'aliyahu asher ya'aleh beit Adonai. The going up with which he went up to the house of the Lord. What's the going up? Well, the word ha-olaot or olaot, it means burnt offerings. So is it the burnt offerings he sent up in the house of the Lord or is it just the stairway that he had that went up to the house of the Lord? And because the rest of this is architectural, it seems like we're talking about the cool staircase that went from Solomon's house, I think through the, from, from, the, from the throne room, the main hallway of Solomon's home had a staircase that went past the, the apartments and then up, into the, up to, the ga- to a small gate of the temple. Solomon could go from his living room up the stairs and be in the temple court. And I, I think that's what we're talking about here. But it's a fascinating uh, uh, translation issue and problem that whenever there's a translation, this needs to be addressed. So, okay. She said to the king, this is the queen of Sheba, and she has a little blessing here. The report I heard in my land about your accomplishments and about your wisdom is true. I did not believe the report until I came and saw it with my own eyes. She came with his entourage thinking she was going to humble him. And the, the opposite happened. Now I find that I was not informed about even half of the greatness of your wisdom. You surpass the report that I heard. Blessed are your men. Blessed are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Wow. Blessed are the servants who listen to you. That's a pretty cool blessing. Blessed be the Lord your God. who has, She knows the name of the Lord who has been delighted with you and has placed you on his throne as king to serve the Lord your God because of your God's love for Israel and his purpose of establishing Israel forever, he has placed you over them as king to administer justice and righteousness. Um, Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, very great quantity of spices and incense and precious stones, there was nothing comparable to these spices and incense that the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So incense and spices, this may have been uh, included things that were rare up in Israel, but were common down in Africa, like cinnamon would have been pretty cool. Sugar may have been involved here. Um, another thing, uh, a precious stone that's common in Africa and rare in, in Europe Diamonds, yeah, very possibly. Also other things, um, onyx, a very beautiful black stone. And then a, a stone called a star, sapphire, have you ever heard of it? It's a black stone and if you get the rays right, it's like got a little starburst in this thing. So her 120 talents, however, remember the picture I had before of the 16 tons? That she gave him four tons. I'm sure Solomon was gracious and his wives back behind him are thinking, well, that's not even a quarter of what we get every year, but whatever. But, uh, so I'm sure they were gracious. Be gracious when people give you gifts. Yes? Do we know exactly where Sheba was? Yeah, so somewhere around the Horn of Africa, Sudan, or across the street that is the Gulf in, um, in Saudi Arabia. But one of those two, and I think it's the Horn of Africa. So... 
that today would be Western um, Sudan, I think I said before, or Yemen, but one of those. I'm not sure about that because it was so long ago. She's overshadowed by the other African queen, Candace, who is the one that where the Ethiopian eunuch went to buy a, 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 a copy of Isaiah and Philip teaches him about Jesus. So I'm not really sure. Not sure. But there was trade and trade also often involved literature and not just diamonds and gold and stuff. You know, sometimes your nice statues have to be wrapped in newspaper. So sometimes people read stuff and whatnot. Got a couple minutes left here. In addition, the servants of Huram and Solomon, who brought gold from Ophir, also brought algum wood uh, from, uh, rather, and precious stones. The king made the algum wood into steps for the Lord's house and for the house of the king's and into lyres and harps for the singers. Nothing like them has ever been seen before in the land of Judah. So beautiful steps. Why would you want your steps to be made of special stuff? I don't have an answer to this. I, I mean, there are, clearly it's an obvious thing that uh, people notice steps when they go places. You know, um, I've been at more than one college campus where the steps were unfortunately tiled the way the floor is tiled below, and it's kind of like an optical illusion. You fall down them all the time. Our steps were like that out here when the, when the new addition got put up. We had members falling down these steps out here. Les Ring was one of those individuals. He fell down the steps. So what did we do? We have a little safety strip taped on those steps. Look at them out there. That's why that black tape is there. So people above can figure out that it's steps and not just, you know, and where, where is the step? I used to have that trouble in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the sanctuary in the previous carpet, which was kind of a pink. Remember that? It was a lighter shade. And when we were distributing communion, um, the old way of having tables for communion, um, if, you're, if, if you're the minister and you're getting over by the pulpit, what happens to the carpet over there, or to, the, to the step? Do you know? It goes around. It, it, makes, it makes two corners at the pulpit and goes around to under where we put a flagpole. And, um, but where is the step? Because our members, some of you, and, and with, with no complaint from me, but our members had a habit of not standing against the step. They would like kind of go in a big circle. And I'd be distributing communion and I'd fall down the step because they're, they're not right there against the step. They're kind of over there. And to get to people, I'd have to step off the step. You know, and, you, and, you, and with your eye, you couldn't tell because the carpet, just something about the light right there and the shade of the carpet that I would always fall. By the way, algum wood, um, I, some people call it sandal wood. But it has a very beautiful um, grain when you cut it, you know, so it was very attractive, I suppose. Um, King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba everything she desired, whatever she asked for, more than what she had brought to the king. Then she returned to her land along with her servants. On, uh, I have to, I, I have no idea where the rumor comes from, but did Solomon marry the Queen of Sheba? No. How did that get into popular culture? 
it's just it's just weird that 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 they people think that the oh that you know Solomon's son Rehoboam is the son of the queen of sheep. Well, no, he was born before he ever became king, and uh, and she didn't. I don't know if people though mix. Remember, some people have never read the Old Testament. That doesn't mean that they can't write a commentary. And some and could they kind of mix up chapter eight and chapter nine? Pharaoh's daughter, Queen of Sheba, get them mixed up. If you're not paying attention and you kind of nod off in class one day, their, their stories might run together in your notes. Don't ask me how I know that that can happen. <laughs> that, now we just get to some overwhelming numbers here as we get down to the bottom of, of chapter 9, down to verse 31. That the weight of the gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents, not counting what the traders and merchants were bringing. This is just his, his reg, regular revenue plus merchants. All the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land also kept bringing gold and silver to Solomon. By the way, 600, more than 660 talents is 50,000 pounds of gold. If a gold brick is five pounds, you can guess, you know, 10,000 gold bricks. That's a lot. I wouldn't want to have designed the structure that held them unless it's on bedrock, you know, because that much weight is just going to start doing, you know, it's going to crash through. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. A large shield? Remember David and Goliath? What did David have that always surprises you when you read the story? Goliath? What did, I mean, what did Goliath have? A shield. Say it. Bearer. A guy, a warrior to carry just his shield. So a large shield is a great big shield the size of a man. Um, and then he made 300 small shields of hammered gold. Almost four pounds of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. So in Jerusalem, I wish I had a good picture of this, but I don't. There was a, a, a building, maybe twice as long as this room, but about this wide, filled with pillars, cedar pillars, and you know, holding up probably a stone roof, right? Right? Well, if you have a, 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 a big room filled with pillars of cedar, can you imagine calling it the forest of Lebanon? Because that's probably what it smelled like and looked like. And Solomon used it as uh, his arsenal. So he hung all these shields on the walls. In the, can you imagine the walls would have been just covered with overlapping shields upon shields? Not like a Viking ship where it's one shield where one guy's bench is but overlapping, overlapping everywhere, like fish scales. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, um, by the way, though, a gold shield, if I had my choice and I could carry a shield made of gold or one made of bronze, which one do I want to take into battle? For two reasons. The, the bronze one is going to be tougher, maybe lighter, but I'm also thinking the gold shield is going to be a little bit more of a target. You know, hey, shoot me, please. You know, gold shield. Yeah. The king made a large ivory throne and overlaid it with pure gold. Ivory is expensive enough. 
And then to overlay that with gold is uh, wow. But, you know, have you ever sat in a stone bench? Would you want to for a long time? I mean, maybe he had a pillow, but uh, there were six steps up to the throne. I talked about this before. A golden footstool was attached to the throne. I don't know if that was like your footrest on your easy boy, on your lazy boy, you know, that comes up. And there were armrests on either side of the seat. There were two armrests. This is a passage of scripture. Was that an innovation? Whoever heard of armrests before? Solomon's got them. There were two lions standing beside the armrests. and tw- By the way, are these real lions? No. no, they're gold. And 12 lions standing on the steps, one on each end of the step. Nothing like it had ever been made for any kingdom. All of Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. All the utensils in the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Would you want to have a steak dinner on a gold plate? Not only soft, but what else? Gold doesn't retain heat. There, I remember reading in, in uh, one of the Horatio Hornblower novels when he's, he goes to visit the czar of Russia and everything is gold. And one of the czar's uh, nieces, I think, is, is, is his hostess. And they wonder together as they're eating, as they're eating off this beautiful cutlery and everything and silver and goldware. I wonder if any monarch has ever had a hot meal. You know. What's the one soup you eat cold in Russia? Uh, borscht, right? Yeah, maybe that's why. I don't know. Silver was not thought to be worth anything in the days of Solomon because the king's ships would go to Tarshish with the servants of Huram. Tarshish? Spain. Spain. Um, and once every three years, the Tarshish ships would return, bringing gold, silver, ivory, monkeys, and peacocks. And maybe it's not peacocks, maybe it's baboons. So there's a question there, but monkeys and things. Um, So there you've got peacocks and monkeys and so forth. A couple different kinds of monkeys there. Um, Why would Solomon want monkeys and peacocks? Why do they have peacocks up at Shell's Brewery? Because when the preacher does the wedding there, they attack the preacher, and it's funny. Yeah. King Solomon was greater than all the kings of the earth in wealth and wisdom. They're also exotic, I suppose, and pretty, and yeah, everything you said. All the kings of the earth were seeking an audience with Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each of them would bring his gift. Articles of gold, silver, clothing, scents, spices, horses, mules, year after year. Do you see that word scents between clothing and spices? What are we talking about there? Perfume. Somebody's figured out that if you take oil and heat it with, like, say, pine needles, what have you just done? You've made a pine needle scented perfume. And if you use rose petals, if you steep these things and infuse them, then stuff happens and the oil retains the scent for a long time, sometimes later on. 
Spike nard, all kinds of things. Solomon had 4,000 teams of horses and chariots and 12,000 charioteers. He stationed them in the chariot cities and in Jerusalem with him. He was ruling over all the kings from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines on the border of Egypt. The king made silver in Jerusalem as plentiful as ordinary stones, and the cedars were like the sycamore fig trees, which are so abundant in the Shephelah. This shows the cedar, the, 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 uh, the fig tree forests in the Shephelah today. So, beautiful rolling hills. You can see some cultivated land there in the, in the bottom of the frame, kind of, and uh, the hills. Horses were imported for Solomon from Egypt and from all the land. So he's got horses and horses and horses and horses. Notice the short-backed Arabian. Slender legs, but tough. The rest of the acts of Solomon from the first to the last, are they not written in the records of, and look at these three guys, Nathan the prophet. He was David's prophet, right? Ahijah from Shiloh. This is the grandson of old Eli, who was prophet when Solomon was, was high priest when Solomon was a boy. This is his grandson. He is the nephew of a guy named Ichabod. Do you remember the, the, that name Ichabod from the Bible? The glory has departed and so forth and in the days of, uh, of uh, Saul and David. And the visions of Iddo the seer about Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Um, who is Jeroboam, son of Nebat? This is his first reference in Chronicles. He was one of Solomon's builders and he's going to become king of the northern kingdom. When, when, when Rehoboam sins, Jeroboam gets 10 of the 12. Solomon ruled in Jerusalem and over all Israel for 40 years. And then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of his father David. His son Rehoboam became king in his place. So Solomon's story ends with no reference to Solomon's errors. When did Solomon begin to go downhill with being tempted by his wives? Well, I think the high water mark we read. I think the high water mark for Solomon's faithfulness was when he kicked the Pharaoh's daughter out of David's house, probably because it was holy. And, she, and if she's not going to be holy, she can't be there. But I think that shortly after that, maybe from shortly after the time that, that, that the Queen of Sheba came, those last 15 years of Solomon's life are when things go downhill for Solomon. I, I kind of think that. Solomon dies at about age 56. Is anyone in this room younger than 56? Does that open your eyes about Solomon a little bit? I mean, I'm not younger than 56. So this is my chronology. Um, I know we're over time. I just want to walk through it for you. The Solomon border around 986 B.C., 984, Absalom Rebellion uh, ends. Around 974, David marries Abishag. She was the girl who was his hot pad when he couldn't stay warm at night, his heating pad. 973, Adonijah's Rebellion begins again. 972, Solomon, now age 14, is named heir because of Adonijah's Rebellion. Uh, 971, Solomon's son, Rehoboam is born. Uh, 970, death of David, Solomon becomes king. I think he's 16 
at this time. 966, Solomon is now about 20. The temple construction begins. Temple is completed seven years later. And here I have the Queen of Sheba's visit before the palace is completed. I now think that that's wrong. I think what you have on your front sheet is probably correct, that she visits afterwards. Or didn't I put it in? I meant to put it in, actually. I'm sorry. I I got distracted by a phone call probably. Um, But I think maybe she visited after, so around 940 or so. And then uh, the palace completed in 946, and Solomon dies at age 56, I think, after 40 years on the throne, but this is certain, in 930 B.C. So that's, that's definite. Uh, God bless all of you. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.